Andrew was a student at Queen's. And one Thursday evening, he was involved in the outreach for the Christian Union in Queen's Student Union. And he was in a conversation with another young student. And the young student raised what is a common objection to Christianity. When you do outreach, often this will be raised. What about those who have never heard the gospel? Now, when you do outreach, you do hear that quite regularly. And Andrew maybe had heard it for just one too many times. So he paused for a moment, and then he says to the fellow, you are the most loving person I have ever met. And the fellow looked at him with amazement. And then Andrew says, it's because I have just to told you that if you're not saved, you're going to go to hell forever, and all you're concerned about is those who have never heard. You need to come to know Jesus and then go and tell the others about Jesus. And that question, what about those who have never heard? I think in many ways is dealt with in this passage that we're looking at here this morning. But let me quickly do, we recap where we are here in Romans. In Romans chapter 1, Paul speaks about God's judgment upon the pagan world, which has rejected the truth about God, the Creator, which can be seen in the world around us, and has dived headfirst into idolatry and immorality. And then Romans chapter 2 brings the focus on those who are moral. It could be Greek moral people, Jewish moral people, and basically the verdict on those moral people is you're not really much better. You are guilty too. In that section, in dealing with the moral people, Paul mentions both Jews and Greeks in verses 9 and 10. And having mentioned Jews and Greeks, Paul now wants to focus on the Jews so that they would be sure that they're guilty also. And he does this by speaking in this passage today about how God will deal with no partiality to both Jews and Greeks. Now, we need to see what Paul is trying to do here. His goal is to get to the point that he will get to in chapter 3 and verse 19, where he says the whole world is declared guilty before God, so that every mouth of objection will be closed and silenced. Well, people will see they're guilty. People will see they cannot object to God's verdict. And it's only when people reach that point of accepting they're guilty before this holy God is there hope to be found and salvation to be found. And that is why Paul takes two and a half chapters to focus on the guilt of the whole world before God. The pagan world, the moral Greek world, the Jewish world. But let's go back to consider that question. What about those who have never heard? Well, as we look at this passage, the first thing we see in verse 12 is judgment and the law. Verse 12 says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Now, one thing we can be absolutely sure about, 
And as Christians, we can be confident about this. God's judgment will always be perfectly righteous, always perfectly fair. That's God's nature. He can do nothing that's unrighteous. He can do nothing that's unfair. And Paul teaches that those who have not heard the law of God, they will not be judged as if they have heard the law of God. And the law of God being spoken about here is not just the Ten Commandments. We're talking about the Old Testament teaching of God's Word. Now, while those who have heard the law of God, he says in that verse, will be judged in the light that they have heard it. Now, let's be clear here what Paul is saying and what Paul is not saying. Those who have not heard the law of God, those who haven't heard the message of God's Word, will not be judged as if they have, but if they have sinned, and all have sinned, they will still perish and be eternally damned. Look at verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. Think of what Peter said in Acts chapter 4 and 12. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Outside of Jesus, there is no salvation. Those who have not heard the law of God, those who have not heard the gospel of Christ, will perish. But they will not be judged as if they have heard, but they still will perish. In being judged, they will be judged fairly. They'll not be judged for rejecting Jesus, but they will be judged for the sin that they have committed. God's judgment will be just. It will be fair. Now, this highlights the greater responsibility for those of us who have heard the gospel and heard it regularly to respond. You remember Jesus, he, he talked about Capernaum and other cities where he had done many of his miracles. He said it would be better on the day of judgment for pagan cities, which had never heard his teaching or seen his miracles, than it would be for the likes of Capernaum. In other words, those who have received much by way of light and the gospel will be judged more severely. Now remember that. For those of us in this country who have heard the gospel and who reject Jesus, the judgment will be more severe. But this also highlights the tremendous responsibility of those of us who are Christians to engage in missionary work and to support missionary work so that those who haven't heard will hear. Because outside of Christ, outside of hearing the gospel, there is no salvation. One way, God said, to get to heaven, Jesus is the only way. So the law and judgment. But then secondly, we see the law and justification in verse 13. Here Paul says, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Paul has in mind here those who are listening to him who are maybe quite smug Jews, who think they're much better than those rascals outside of the synagogue, those people who have never heard the law of God. 
And these are Jews who probably have heard the law many times and have probably memorized large sections of God's law. But Paul is saying here, hearing God's law, it's of no benefit if it's not accompanied with obedience to the law. Righteousness is seen in a life of obedience, not in a life of just hearing. And Paul is wanting to warn people of the danger of having a religion, which is a bit of a pick and mix. A religion where people choose certain parts of God's law which they want to obey and other parts which they don't want to obey. Now this is very relevant for the church today when so often it is said that all you need is love. Love God and love other people. Now what people who say that fail to realize is that love is shown to God Love is shown to others by keeping his commandments. Love has to be defined. Love has to follow what God says. Jesus said that to love the Lord your God of all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's a summary of the commandments. That's a summary of the Ten Commandments. He didn't say loving God was replacing the commandments. The commandments show us how love for God and love for others should be like in action. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So love and obedience to God's word can never be separated. Now, when you apply this to the whole area of morality today, where so often the cry is love is love, what this shows is to act contrary to the revealed word of God is not the loving thing to do. Love follows the revealed truth of God. But before we leave this verse, we need to remind ourselves what Paul is seeking to do here. It says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. And Paul is seeking to have all people realize, yes, the pagan people who have engaged in idolatry, but also the moral Jews who are there in the synagogue, that we're all guilty before God because none of us, none of us have perfectly kept God's law and therefore none of us can be justified, made right before God through keeping the law. So we're all in the same boat. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you remember how Jesus explained this so clearly in the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector? The Pharisee got up and spoke about all the wonderful things that he did, his wonderful religion and how indeed he had done this, that, and the other thing. And Jesus says, uh-uh, he wasn't right before God because he wasn't perfect. And then the tax collector, you remember tax collectors? were very dishonest people. They were those who had indeed compromised with the Romans. This tax collector came in, this bad rascal, and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you see, what Paul is seeking to teach here and what Jesus was seeking to do by telling this story is he wants all of us to come to that point of being the tax collector. We lose our smugness, 
We lose our self-righteousness. We all accept we've fallen short. And all we can do is throw ourselves upon the mercy of God. God have mercy on me, a sinner. The law and justification. You're going to get to heaven by your good works. You have to be perfect. Perfectly keep God's commandments. None of us do. And that's why we need a redeemer. And then thirdly, we have the law and hearts in verses 14 to 15. Paul says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the works of the law is written in their hearts. And while their conscience also bear witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Now, that's a bit complicated, those verses. But let me say, first of all, what it doesn't mean. The book of Jeremiah prophesies about a day when God's law would be written on people's hearts in part of the new covenant. Do you remember what he says? The Lord says, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Now, what is being spoken of here in Romans 2 by Paul is not the same as what Jeremiah spoke about. Jeremiah was speaking to the people of Israel, to the people who had the law of God, of a new day when God would do a work of rebirth in their hearts. Here in Romans 2, those who have the law in their hearts, being spoken of here, are the pagans who have never had the law of God. So it's something different. So what is Paul talking about here when he mentions Gentiles who do not have the law, they do what the law requires in their hearts. I think to understand this, we have to go back to creation and to understand how Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. Part of being made in the image of God, Adam and Eve were made righteous. They had the commandments of God, which were later given to Moses at Sinai. They had those commandments of God written in their hearts. Now, although they have been spoilt and they have been corrupted by sin, there is still a remnant of God's law within people. There is deep down within all people a God consciousness and some remembrance of a, the law within. There is a a conscience which reminds them there is a right and a wrong. Now, people try and suppress it, but it's still there. And this is very important when it comes to reaching the unsaved people with the gospel. People have been made in the image of God, therefore there still exists within people, even those who say they're atheists, there still exists within them a God consciousness. And as you share the truth, they mightn't admit it, but it does resonate within Maybe it's deep down. Maybe they're trying to suppress it. But there is still a sense of God's law and God's existence in their heart. Even in the hearts of the most hardened sinners and skeptics. One of the things I have found when I have debated with atheists, which is never a pleasant thing normally to do, what I find is they get so angry. Why are atheists so angry with the God who doesn't exist. The problem they have is deep down in their own hearts, there's still this God consciousness, which is a leftover from being created, Adam and Eve, 
in the image of God. They try to suppress it, and that's why they get angry. They try and be so strong to put it away, but it still exists. That's why I believe, actually, there are very few true atheists, if any. Because deep down, they have an awareness of God. The problem with this inner witness is that although it can create an inner restlessness, it can create a conscience and a sense of right and wrong, but without God's word and without the gospel, peace cannot come. It speaks in verse 15 about a conflict within them. These people who don't have the word of God, who don't have the gospel of Jesus Christ, they have a sense of right and wrong. Yes, they can have that. But all it can create at the end of the day is a slightly better life and a restlessness because peace can only come through Jesus. So we have the law and hearts. And then finally, we have judgment on the gospel in verse 16. Here Paul says, On that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Paul's focus is about being ready for the day of judgment, the day which we will all face. And here we see, first of all, that this judgment will be by Jesus. This judgment at the last day will be done by the one who has lived in this earth and who has walked faithfully and perfectly according to God's law. And no one will be able to say to the judge, you don't understand how difficult it is to have lived in this earth, how difficult it is to obey God's law. You don't know how difficult it is to resist sin and temptation. None of us will be able to say that to Jesus because he has done it and he has overcome. Jesus knew about sin and temptation on this earth more than we will ever know because he was always in the devil's sights. He was always the prime target for the devil. And when Jesus refused to yield to sin and temptation, the pressure would have increased. Take an example. If you're pushing against someone, right? If you push against someone and you don't give way, the pressure increases. If you give way, if you yield, if you go back, the pressure of contact eases. And so the pressure on Jesus in temptation would be far greater than any of us have ever experienced because he never stepped back. He never yielded. He stayed firm. And he got the pressure of the devil's temptation in a way that we could never imagine. The fact that Jesus is a judge means we're without excuse. He knows what it is to have lived in this earth. But Jesus being judged also increases the sadness in regards to those who are not saved. The Savior who called people to come, come unto me, and I will give you rest. The Savior who constantly said that, to hear him on the day of judgment, to say, go, depart from me, I never knew you. That is so sad. Being so near to the Savior and yet missing his salvation. There is a, a film called The Way Back. It tells the story of a group of convicts who left a 
basically a prison camp in Siberia in the 1940s and traveled 4,000 miles to eventually find safety in India. And in that film, there's an incident where they're in the snow. They have lit the fire and they've gone to get some wood for the fire, but one of their group doesn't come back. And the problem is this fella has partial blindness. And he doesn't find his way back to the fire to warmth and to safety. In the morning when the, the light appears, they look at just a short distance away. And there is the fella sitting, frozen to death. Only a matter of yards away from the heat and from safety and survival. He had, didn't realize it because he was partially blind. He didn't realize he was so close to the fire. If he had come just a wee bit further, he would have found safety. I wonder, is that you here today? You know the gospel. You know it inside out but you're just there on the edge. You're away from the heat. You're away from safety. You just need to come a bit further. Just come to Jesus. Come and find that. But won't it be horrendous if you refuse that invitation to come? One day you hear, depart from me. Notice this, the judgment of Christ goes deep. It talks in verse 16 how he will judge the secrets of people's hearts. Not just what people do counts, but why they do it, what their motives were, what was in their hearts. It will all be revealed on that day. Now, for me, that's a scary thought. You remember Christianity explored and Rico Tice, you see a wee picture coming up of Rico. And in Christianity explored, he says, imagine if all your worst thoughts and sins were put on a display on walls for people to view, how horrendous that would be. But this is what we revealed, the secrets of people's hearts, those sins in your mind, in your heart, which nobody else knows about, but what God knows about will be revealed on that day. This is why salvation is needed. We try and fool ourselves. We try and fool others. We're not so bad. When the Bible teaches we're all guilty before God, guilty to the very core of who we are, guilty to the very heart and soul. That's why we need the gospel. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need cleansing. But one final week question for you. Why is the judgment described here as part of the gospel? Look at verse 16. On that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Why is judgment part of the good news of the gospel? Let me give you three reasons. First of all, judgment glorifies God. At the day of judgment, God's justice will be vindicated. It will be shown by every people that what God does is just and fair. One of the problems in this country in going beyond the troubles is there is a, a vacuum in regards justice. 
There are so many crimes in which people have not been held to account. So many murders people have never been tried for. That's not right. And the likelihood of these people being tried now is, is minimal. It's insignificant. The chances of it happening. Unless you're a British soldier, that is. There's something not right about that. The day of judgment is good news because then we will see perfect justice being worked out for the glory of God. And people will say, praise God for his perfect justice. Secondly, judgment vanquishes evil. All pain and suffering in this world has come from sin and evil. The day of judgment will be with the day when all evil will be cast away from the presence of God's people forever. All sin and evil will be cast into hell. On that day, God's people will never experience it or its consequences again. The day of judgment precedes the new world. A new world because there's no suffering or because there's no sin or evil, there'll be no suffering or pain, but joy everlasting. Judgment is part of the gospel. It's part of God's great gospel plan of vindicating himself, of honoring himself, and delivering his people from sin and evil forever. But the problem is that there are people here today who will be on the wrong side of that judgment because they haven't come to Jesus for forgiveness and cleansing. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. And yet, Father, it is like a sharp two-edged sword. Father, it cuts right to the heart, right to the heart of our very souls. Because, Father, it acknowledges that we are a guilty people, that we have failed you and we will always fail you. But, Father, we thank you there's a righteousness, there's a cleansing to be found in Jesus, your Son. We thank you, Lord, that he perfectly kept the law, not just in what he did, but within his heart, always in harmony with your will, O God. He lived that perfect life, which we have failed to live, and he died as that perfect sacrifice so we could be forgiven. Just give us the grace, O Lord, today to repent of our sin and to come to Jesus for forgiveness. In his name we pray.